Hello and welcome once again to the Pressing Matters podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Hyde, I'm joined as always by Toby Puisever, and we're here to talk about uh, the pressing matters of this week's football. Uh, there's been actually a lot going on, I say this every week, but it seems to just get crazier. Uh, I think we're going to talk a lot about narratives today. Uh, Toby, do you have any, any narratives? What's your opinion on narratives? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Hello, Sam. Yeah, there is a lot. There is a lot that's happened, but you know what? And there is always a lot that's happened, and... Uh... It's the beauty of the Premier League, I suppose, isn't it? It's just, it's relentless. It's non-stop. I mean, think back, there was a World Cup halfway through the season. Who who even remembers that? Totally irrelevant. Anyway, uh, thoughts on narratives? Well, yeah, I mean, we're recording this on a, on Wednesday. On Monday, there was there were a lot of narratives around the coming out of the Merseyside derby. I think we, we both discussed before, um, briefly, we do sometimes talk outside of this. Um, we we discussed a bit about, you know, the two, well, the narratives that would come out of the Merseyside derby and, and I suppose how results-based the weekly talk is um, on most media platforms, which is understandable. Uh, and also tonight, obviously, we're recording this before the big one, uh, Arsenal-Manchester City, and there will be plenty of narratives coming out of uh, out of tonight's game. Most notably, will be have Arsenal bottled it, despite the fact that we're only 22, 23 games into a season. But I'm looking forward to those. And despite the fact that absolutely no one thought that Arsenal would be in this position at this stage, absolutely. It's, it's still a bottle. Everything is a bottle. Newcastle are going to bottle top four. But Sam, you know what? Hate is a seductive thing, you know? And people love to hate. And... What better way to do it than uh, through the tribalism that is football and the Premier League? You know, uh, as Darth Vader once said, hate is a seductive thing. He never said that, but could have been a good line for him. Yeah, well, you've got to post something on Twitter every week, haven't you? You can't just not talk about the football. Uh, let the hate flow through you. We're going to start <laughs> with you. Liverpool nice. because it was the Merseyside derby and. Uh, there were lots of narratives about Liverpool and Everton going into this game. Obviously, Everton bringing in Sean Dyche and how how rapidly everyone's opinion of Everton has changed overnight. But uh, Liverpool won, obviously. And now, are they good? Are Liverpool good? Is that the narrative we're going with? Are Liverpool good? Now, that is a question I wish I knew the answer to, Sam. Uh Assuming it's a yes. Now, okay. First thing to say. First thing to say. Um, because there are a lot of different reasons for why we were bad. Okay. So we have to look at why we were bad to be able to work out if we are now good. Right. Um, I mean, how do you want to do this? Do you want to run through the reasons of why we were bad? Or do you want to discuss the game a little bit first? Let's talk about the game. Okay. Fantastic. So for, first things first. We had a level of aggression and intensity. Intensity in inverted quotes. That's a word that is kind of a meme now in in the Liverpool fan base because of Pep Linders' book that came out in the summer called Intensity. And then the following season, we seem to forget the definition or at least didn't have much of it on the field. Um, But we actually played with aggression and intensity. We actually played with... um, a 
high tempo and an urgency which was beautiful to watch it looks like we were actually going into a game relishing the sort of physical challenge that a Sean Dyche team could could pose um, and also actually relishing a Merseyside derby um, as a as a sort of vehicle to potentially turn around the season um, so so yeah that that they were the first things to to note and they were all very positive um, in terms of the actual tempo and sort of aggression in the play that, that was something that was non-existent in a lot of games I think that's also depend that also comes down to sort of game state and certain things the Wolves game we sort of concede freak chances well normally freak chances but they were chances these three freak events have been happening too frequently in Liverpool season right and it kills any tempo it kills any um, way of getting a foothold into a game basically as well um, we've been going 1-0 down very early things like that in in this in this Merseyside derby it looked like we were about to potentially even though it was the only real chance that they had uh, and we were we were much more the Liverpool of old that can suffocate a team with um, high tempo and intensity, suffocate a team, force them back into their own half and deny all counter-attacking opportunities um, while still being able to attack with sort of speed and directness. Um, Pep's spoken in the past about how Jurgen Klopp teams can be so direct and so sort of go for the jugular, something that his teams aren't, you know, aren't generally like that. It's sort of about slower build-up and, and I suppose suffocating a team in a different kind of way uh, and not allowing any counter-attack and opportunities. Uh, we, we looked much more like the team that can attack direct directly, but when we lose possession because that direct attack is broken down, we're not totally vulnerable um, with a soft underbelly, which is basically what we've been all season. Um, so there were positives there context it's Everton Sean Dyche has just come into the job obviously a fantastic result against Arsenal last week but it's a different kind of challenge with with a Merseyside derby I think so you know a few a few things in there to to begin with but there were actually some standout performances and big things to note, the front three, for the first time in a long time, looked like a cohesive, interchangeable unit that had short enough distances in possession to link up and could also function out of possession to to press the ball. And the midfield had far more aggression and sort of front foot defending, but were also shorter distances to be able to make those tackles I don't think we have at all this season not been on the front foot but we've not been close enough to be on the front foot which has meant that we're arriving too late into challenges and we just get played around and the 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 big issue this season has been the press and the midfield looking totally vulnerable because look the the front line is is new and has changed a lot through injuries, through signings, through Mane's departure, a whole host of reasons there. Yeah, so talking about the front three, because this is something, again, where there's been lots of narratives about. Uh, narratives about Darwin Nunez, who got uh, quite a nice assist, and Cody Gakpo, who scored his first Liverpool goal after a lot of people on Twitter calling him 007, which was uh, kind of funny, but 
also yes. not great. Yes, I, I have seen those and they, they did hurt every time I saw them. I mean, yeah, these are two players where Nunes has been basically regarded by almost all as the the flop of the summer, right? And then we bring in Cody Gakpo, who after seven games is branded flop of January. I mean, all Liverpool forwards under Klopp have come in and hit the ground running previously. Even Luis Diaz, do you know what I mean? Um, we're talking Salah coming in, unbelievable goal-scoring record. Mane coming in, scoring on his debut against Arsenal, going on to do huge things. We have to go back as far as Roberto Firmino as to a Liverpool forward who actually didn't come in and flourish immediately. And he was in the back end of Brendan Rodgers' tenure um, where the squad was pretty dodgy at that point. Um, we had like Benteke come in who, who didn't hit the ground running. But but as in, yeah, in terms of players that we've brought in, I mean, Firmino was playing wing-back under Rodgers as well, to be, to be perfectly honest. But... Yeah, we we we've not been we've been blessed in a sense that we're used to wide forwards and and number nines coming in and, and hitting the ground running and doing very well. Jota as well, Luis Diaz as well. So, um, it's not that it's odd for Nunes or Gakpo, or it means they're flops immediately. But comparing them to what we've previously seen, obviously, wasn't the same, right? There's good signs in Gakpo and Nunes to be be hopeful for right I think there's fantastic signs they're both 23 Cody Gakpo I wasn't really too sure on to be perfectly honest last night he was fantastic maybe he was playing against a championship level team so it's hard to context matters but he showed parts of his game against Everton that we hadn't seen yet in a Liverpool shirt um receiving on the turn he was very neat and tidy it was quite Firmino-esque it was quite intelligent off the ball he seems like a player who makes the right decisions at the right times and is technically very sound you give him the ball he looks after it or he wins himself a foul um so a lot of positives from Gakpo Nunes Nunes is someone who's clearly very raw but he possesses a huge amount of attributes that are going to be headaches for anyone he comes up against right especially Seamus Coleman, because he's just running at him. Um, but the interesting thing is that Gakpo, who played a lot f- coming off the left, and Nunes, who played predominantly down the middle previously to their move to Liverpool, Nunes still did have games where he was playing sort of on the left, or at least sort of peel off to the left um, and sort of terrorise a fullback. But under Klopp, you know, it's been Gakpo playing as a sort of false nine, as a sort of withdrawn forward player down the middle and Nunes has been on the left coming off that flank to attack the box in the same way that Salah does the other side which has been um, well quite interesting yeah and I think going back to the the word narratives which I'm going to say probably every 10 minutes in the podcast but uh, yeah it was before the season there was all this media frenzy about Holland versus Nunes before there was any sort of evidence that that was going to be a thing and uh, I, I feel like you if you watch Nunes even the whole season uh, from a sort of more a more neutral point of view without anything like that in mind he, he's not been bad this season from what I've seen and a lot of people have been comparing him to someone like Timo Werner where people were saying uh, look at the space he creates look at his attacking runs as like an excuse for him but with Werner I never thought he looked dangerous I thought he looked quick uh, whereas when I watched Nunes like Stuff is happening around him, and it just feels like there's these little bits that need to 
fall into place with him, like especially with the rest of the team not performing. And then when when it clicks, I think there is a lot of potential there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think if you're a Liverpool, uh, right, apart from sort of certain people on Twitter who seem to follow players more than the club, the general consensus in Liverpool fans seems to be we've got a player here. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's not clicking right now in terms of goal scoring output, but we've got a player here. He's a player who causes chaos. He, You'll find there are times this season where you're tearing your hair out in frustration, but on the whole, he's exciting. And he's fun to watch. He makes football fun. And it's kind of a bit of a meme in itself on Twitter and stuff. But it's like Darwin Day. You know, you get to watch this crazy six foot three Uruguayan just terrorising defenders, but in the air, but also in behind. He just wants to run, it seems. Um, if rival fans just want to spend the whole time slagging him off, saying, oh, all this money and whatever, Haaland's got 20, like, fine. I, I it, It's not affecting me or anything at this point because I'm just enjoying watching him, to be quite honest. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well. It's like, uh, once people... Because there's been a couple of Darwin misses where you've been thinking, like, that is a bad miss, but it's got to the point where every time he's not scoring, people are posting Twitter clips and saying, like, oh, I can't believe he missed this or whatever, and it's... Exactly, he's like, there's like a ball over the top that he's like lashed first time on the volley at goal and yeah, it's gone straight down the middle and the keeper's just tipped it over the bar and everyone's like, oh, he's missed that. It's like, well, yeah, but if he scores it, it's an absolute worldie. <laughs> the fact that he's just got it on target, I was shocked, to be honest, you know what I mean? But there are definitely there are definitely chances that he should be putting away. Same with all strikers. It's the same with all strikers. I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not overly worried. And also we're forgetting that we've got someone like Salah on the other wing who's just been tied down to a new contract. Like, how many 25-plus goal-a-season forwards are you expecting? You know, are we all just spoiled brats now and just think that we're going to have it all? I appreciate Salah hasn't hit those numbers this season. Um, but we all know that there's definitely the potential for him to be able to in future seasons and things like that. It's not like Nunes has come in and he's the... He's the only source of goals and it's him or nothing. Um, yeah, but on Salah, he, it was a far more Salah of old performance. It was, um, there were far more areas where he was getting on the ball. He was sort of um, able to isolate a fullback and run at them. He was giving Mikalenko big problems. Um, and to be fair, that right-hand side of Trent, Hendo and... Salah was much more sort of how it used to be. It, 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 there was a lot less of Trent coming inside. Um, he still did at times, and, and Henderson will still overlap outside and come away from basically the right side of centre midfield and, and go and link up so that Salah can come inside or Trent can come inside. But there was less of a Trent moving into midfield and really sort of inverting to protect counterattacks, it seemed. Um and that seemed to benefit Salah a lot. Oh, I've got a lot more I still need to say, actually, Sam, to be honest. It's the, uh, well, it's the man of the moment, Sam. The best... Oh, God. <laughs> I know what's coming. Yeah? What do you think's coming? Stefan Bajicic. Bajicic. Big Steffi. The Scouse Spaniard, hey? He's got a sensational accent. Um, if you check out his post-match interview. 18 years old. 
best player on the pitch. Like, I mean, well, there were other very good performances, but he was one of the best players on the pitch last night. We're talking not just neat and tidy on the ball, but just flying into tackles, being on the front foot, nicking the ball early and springing counter-attacks. And just choice of pass seemed way beyond his sort of 18 years of age. Really impressive. Whenever he's come in, has been fantastic. Normally it's been as the six instead of Fabinho, and he's been brilliant there. Instead, he's played as the left-sided eight, the left-centre mid, where Thiago would normally play, and he was fantastic there as well. Um, but also Henderson and Fabinho looked far better as well. Just a final note on terms of, because Sam, your favourite word of the day, narrative. The narrative is now coming out that, oh, hang on, we could get top four. Look, the reality is we have to be able to turn that last game, game against Everton into some form of momentum, put a string of wins together and actually climb up the table we're used to challenging with man city and having to be perfect okay the top four race you don't have to be perfect teams will drop points newcastle have what one win in six something like that they've got a league cup final for the first time in however many years that they've got their eye on as well there there is no doubt that we can be in the conversation but there's no point in entertaining it if we can't put a string of wins together because the performance against wolves was so bad that if we just have anything like that come up again, if we have anything like that come up again, it's just a momentum killer and we're back to square one. And there's no point in even discussing it. So do I think we can get top four? Astonishingly, yes. But it's ridiculous to start really saying that after one win, because that's all that's happened. So we, we shall see, but there's definitely the potential for it. Well, Liverpool are only... Um seven points behind Tottenham with two games in hand as well Liverpool have played less games than a lot of the teams ahead of them so there is potential there and um, just to round off on Everton on a similar note as well is that their next two games are against uh, Leeds and Aston Villa so feels like uh, another team that will have a bit of a better idea of who they are in the next few weeks. So I think we'll talk about Everton uh, pretty soon, probably, unless those games are boring. So as well as Everton being down there, the other big move, of course, is with Southampton, where our friend, the petulant Nathan Jones, has lost his job. Uh, Unfortunately or not, I'm not sure. I don't know how we feel about it. Some more weird press conference stuff as well, talking about being from a Welsh mining town, and it was um, quite funny. Could have settled for a beautiful Welsh girl. Yeah. Um, there were there were talks about Jesse Marsh immediately after leaving Leeds, going into the into the Southampton job. About three days after, I said he wouldn't get a job in the Prem for two years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's possible that that is true, but we came a bit close there. Um, are Southampton in in a mess? Uh, do you do you feel bad that Nathan Jones is gone? Like it's quite a unstable time for Southampton, isn't it? I think there's I think there's a few things that we need to sort of discuss here. Firstly, firstly Nathan Jones. It seems like the fans just got their way, right? Because it it still wasn't good, right? I mean, obviously they go one they're one nil up against ten man Wolves and still lose that. That is pretty criminal. Don't get me wrong. And the stats in the second half were terrible as well for Southampton because 
Wolves had nine shots to Southampton's five in the second half. That's ten against eleven. Wolves had 56% possession. They were getting dominated by a team with ten men. It's, it's absurd, isn't it? Yeah, it is absurd. But I feel like also it's just this, this Super League that it's become. Is that if you're not on board, you're going to get left behind. And it's I, I kind of admire the the approach Southampton are taking in terms of player recruitment in terms of bringing in Romeo Lavia and um, you know, having Livermento and things like that. It's, it's, it's fun, but it's also just, I don't, I think it's too naive to be quite honest. That's not talking about their managerial appointments because clearly someone needs to give their head a wobble if they're bringing in Nathan Jones and then sacking him immediately because ultimately because the fans weren't happy. Um, and, and it was the first, uh, well, the fans were very united in their, in their sort of, quest to get him out right but then also to then go to Jesse Marsh I just don't to go I just it's just it's a bit baffling right how can you how can you even think you can get away with that would would Saints I'd like to know would Saints fans be happy with the appointment of Jesse Marsh who was underachieving with a Leeds team that had had high investment he's not going to get that investment at Southampton so surely it's just going to be even worse well I've been lurking in some some Saints fan places and uh, <laughs> a, place a, a common I know well, it was quite a nice nice place actually everyone was quite civil actually but uh, um, yeah they seem to think a lot of people seem to think that Jesse Marsh is obviously from the Red Bull system like Hootel. and if you're gonna hire Nathan Jones as move away from Hootel's philosophy even though Hootel changed his style of play a lot actually at the start of the season but um, yeah to go back after 14 games under Nathan Jones to someone that is like your last manager in terms of their actual genuine managerial philosophy but without the same level of results just what are you going to achieve from that I don't know yeah it just it just seems like a broken kind of train of thought or like a or like a a bit of a silly logic. It, it 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 makes you feel like they just don't know what to do. It's like sort of panic decisions and things like that. But then that's kind of going around a lot at the moment. Look at Leeds; they couldn't get their targets in, and now I don't know who who is the latest to be linked with the Leeds job because they didn't get. They wanted the Rio Vallecano boss. They wanted a couple of they've, others, um, but they've said that for the time being that they're going to stick with the assistant. Um, they've not said how long that time being is, but um, yeah, whether that's a couple of games and wait to see if someone crops up or uh, whether that's to the end of the season, obviously it depends a lot on the results they get, but it feels like, um, yeah, they want to stick with the assistant who was under Marsh. And, and you know what? This could be what saves Everton, is that they just went and got Dyche in. It just feels like it feels like Everton made mistake after mistake at boardroom level in terms of recruitment, in terms of manager, you know. But but they got one right, and that could be enough because of the because it now leaves Southampton scrabbling around. It leaves. And I'm not saying they would have necessarily got Dyche in uh, Southampton or Leeds, but they are definitely just scrabbling around now. Really, it seems just panicking and the game weeks go by and you could become further cut adrift and the, the league is far too competitive and it's very unforgiving and you could be finding yourself in a lot of trouble 
Uh, and, you know, the Championship isn't an easy league to, to get out of unless you're unless you're Burnley, I suppose. Yeah, I, last week I said that Leeds would stay up a week later and I do not feel as confident. It, it, it You know, we've spoken about how quickly the public perception can change on these things, but it's not been a good week of news cycle for Leeds. No. And, uh, no, yeah, it hasn't. I like their squad a lot, is the thing. I like their squad, but... Yeah, not getting a manager. What in. the lead squad? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 too good to be down there. Surely, Nonto looks very exciting. Um, yeah, it's there's a, so many players that are just great to watch. Like Rodrigo's great. Like Somerville had a really good run until he got injured, and then you've got the midfield of Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney, which when they start playing together could be nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Ritter. I think it depends if it depends what Everton can get out of there, out of Calvert Lewin. Can they keep him fit? And even then, would that be enough? Because watching Ellis Sims, look, he was isolated, fair enough, but he just didn't even he couldn't keep hold of the ball to help break down that sort of barrier of being isolated. He was just dominated by Joe Gomez all night. He's a championship, you know, he's been playing in the championship out on loan at Sunderland. You're now bring you're now starting him in a Merseyside derby, whilst in the relegation zone, desperate for points. It's not when you compare the sort of front line of Everton and the front line of Leeds, and even the sort of wide players that can contribute in terms of goals. You do sort of think, well, surely how how can Everton stay up? But Leeds are managing to make it a very close run thing, with uh, some shocking decisions. It seems. I mean, Leeds have like twice as many good attackers as they need as well is the thing they've got so many um, where was Cavaloon was he injured is that what happened I think well Daesh came out and said he wants to make sure he has Calvert-Lewin regularly not just one game in four basically um, I don't know <laughs> if he was actually injured and that was the response to that or if or if it's more of a case where he was just I don't know, but he didn't even feature, so that makes me think that there was some sort of niggle um, or something. But uh, but maybe maybe Dice just thinks look, just just it's important to have him for the for the sort of lead Southampton games, etc. Um, but, but Sam, what was what was Nathan Jones's record in the end for Southampton? Um, so in the Premier League, he played eight matches and he lost seven, won one. Right. So, so now my question for you. Similar to last week, <laughs> does he get another job in the job in the Prem? And how many years? <laughs> well, he's. Uh, I would anyone say he's as good as Marsh, Jesse Marsh? He doesn't have the well. I... He doesn't have the sort of reputation of Marsh, right? But it's pretty shocking what Marsh has done in the Prem. Yeah, I don't know. I just I have a kind of sympathy for Marsh. I, you know, obviously he w- wasn't good enough, but. I didn't even like him when he came in as well, but I've, I've, he's grown on me a lot. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm not really the biggest fan. I think the Ted Lasso jokes are a bit unnecessary, but I don't know. I think what what position of struggle does a Premier League team need to be in to turn around and think Nathan Jones is our man? You know. Yeah, well, this is the thing that like, you look at Leeds, and they're not going to be looking at Nathan Jones right now, are they? 
So I, I think it's got to be through the championship if he gets promoted. Yeah. I think that's his his hope. The championship club would take him, I'm sure. Definitely, definitely. And then he does, if he does a good enough job, he gets them up there. Or if he just does a good enough job, he sort of refreshes the mindset. by Because um... that's how he got in in the first place, isn't it? Because he was a vaguely interesting championship manager. The Luton story is kind of... Yeah. You know, they're not a team that you'd expect to be doing that well. And yeah. you know, they've shot up the league, something they? They're in League 2, what, five years ago or something. Yeah. So he obviously did a good job. But I think even at Stoke, he was quite, you know, he's quite a polarising character. I think what I've heard is that Luton sort of loved it because they were the sort of like underdog mentality, us against the world sort of thing because of their situation. Um, whereas Stoke, the fans were just sort of like, what, what are you on about, mate? What are you doing? Shut up. Let's just stop talking and win us games. So I think it depends what kind of club he goes to in the Prem, like, or what kind of club is struggling in the Prem to then think let's go for him if he was to get hired immediately from that realistically he's going to have to do a good good job in the championship again because it's too damaging for his reputation you know but yeah anyway that's my that's my becoming my question of the week now hopefully more managers go so we can keep asking (laughs) yeah Uh, get them sacked get them gone (laughs) anyway Uh, who's next who's next then who are we keeping our eye on next to go People aren't talking about Klopp anymore. Don't give me that, Sam. The team goes before Klopp goes. It's probably got to be Davy Moyes, hasn't it? Moisey. Is Moisey O'Neal. not the next one? Well, I think Brendan Rodgers is trying to get sacked, isn't he? But I think that's different. That's, that's, that doesn't count. Well, they have just won against like 4-2 or 4 No, 4-1 four was it even against Spurs. So maybe it's not the best week to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Rogers has reluctantly started Ianacho for a few games. Ianacho's fun though, isn't he? I've I've actually like really liked Ianacho for ages, and it's been sad that he's not really got a good run in. Yeah, I saw a compilation video of him and Daniel Sturridge, and it was like left-footed nine and a halves with like a chef's kiss emoji or something, and <laughs> it was enough to make me click on it. Yeah. You know, I think Ianacho maybe. He doesn't give off, like, an aura. Do you know what I mean? When I watch Iheanacho, he's so calm. And, like, even when he scores, there's not, like, an aura. I wonder if Rogers is just, like... I don't know. Thinks he doesn't if, care. If that plays into people's minds. No, that's maybe not that. But you'd rather play Jamie Vardy, who is pure, like, football passion. and Yeah, very different, very different characters, aren't they? You know? It's wild speculation. It's hard to move on from these legends as well. It's the thing. Yeah. But then Patson Dacker as well is in the mix, so it is awkward, isn't it? But Yeah. Yeah. Good player, you know, show. Um Yeah, intelligent player as well, you know. Okay, on in terms of Leicester then, who do you think of the team who have underperformed the most this season? but who will be back to themselves next season. Like, do you see Leicester as being a team? Like, is this season a blip for Leicester? And do you think they'll be back? Or do you think maybe, I don't, I don't know if this is... No, a- well, we, we we yet to find the time to go in depth into our predictions. But I predicted that Leicester would come 12th this season. Okay, so you're pretty close. Leicester there, are currently 13. Anyway, I mean, that's going to be a total think- free-for-all between sort of 11th and... Well, how far down do you want to go? 
of of where they're all going to finish. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, the biggest underachiever that I think will do well next season has to be Liverpool. But it depends how they finish this season, whether they even are an underachiever. So, yeah, that's a yeah. good point. That's a good point. And Wolves, got any any shouts? Uh, hit me. Yeah, but it's tough to say, really, isn't it? Looking at it because people who are underachieving, I'm looking above them. I'm thinking, well, yeah, Brentford, Fulham, Brighton are better than them all. Do you know what I mean? Or like, like. Like, if you take West Ham, for example, what you, you could have West Ham as the sort of underachievers if they were to stay around 16th. But then also saying that teams have developed, it seems, far better than them. So maybe next season it will be the similar story and, and teams will be finishing, you know, consistently above West Ham because they're just smarter in, in the transfer window and, and have like a um, an aggressive attacking style of play, which is which is not leaving them totally wide open so they can transition into it. Um, which West Ham sort of struggled with. So that's my sort of take on that. Before, we have moved on from Nathan Jones, but this is our last chance, really, unless we just unnecessarily bring up the petulant Nathan Jones every week. I'm just giving you a I last think we just chance keep an eye to on him. have any closing thoughts on him. If there are none, then I'm absolutely fine with that. Um, he's been He's been one of the most interesting characters in the league. I'll give him that. I, I didn't like his team. You kind of like it when to see a, a team that's in chaos, kind of. It's total schadenfreude and kind of not very nice. But when something so, a team that's so promising goes horribly wrong in this way, there's all sorts of underlying things that are going on, surely. Yeah, it's fun seeing how sour something that can look so promising can go, you know. It's because their transfers seem so uh, football manager-esque as well that you're like, oh, how would this work in real life? They bought they bought Man City players that no one's really familiar with and they bought this 19-year-old who's from Argentina. And uh, Yeah, I know yeah, what you mean. Didn't really I know what you mean. Work out. Talk about someone who's under a group of individuals who are underachieving. Will they achieve better that doesn't make any sense or doesn't sound like good English. Will they do better next season? Referees, Samuel. Referees. What do you t- what do, <laughs> do you want to go into that? <laughs> uh, well, yes. It has to be spoken about because it is the issue. Are they underachieving or are they just bad is the other thing. Well... I think underachieving is quite generous. They're obviously underachieving, but... Obviously, it was really horrible to watch the decisions... Um, namely the Arsenal uh, lack of checking the VAR and the Brighton checking the VAR in the wrong way. Um, But yeah, it was very funny watching Match of the Day and just slowly watching Danny Murphy lose his mind and have his eyes glaze over and just genuinely getting quite angry. (laughs) Um, It kind of made me feel better because I was very angry as well, but not as much as Danny Murphy who has no stakes in the game can I quickly squeeze in here as well sorry yeah go because on. in light of Mikel Arteta uh, coming out and saying he wants his points back or whatever he won't be happy until he's got his two points I would just like to clarify he's already had those two points okay in fact he had three of them earlier on in the season against Liverpool when a scandalous penalty <laughs> was given against Thiago when we didn't get a penalty for a quite clear handball um, now, 
I'm just going to jump in because Liverpool fans always post that handball everywhere. And every time I see it, Jota's foot is closer and closer to Gabriel's body. Because, uh, okay, we shouldn't go into this decision because it doesn't matter. But <laughs> Liverpool fans need to stop posting this gif because uh, Gabriel's hand is outside of his body, but he's moving it behind himself. And Jota's foot is literally like half a metre away from him. So I don't care where um, he's moving it to, Sam. It's the fact that he stopped the cross, okay? That's that's going in. So, well, I'm sorry it's... that he couldn't move it out of the way in time, but the ball didn't continue its natural trajectory into the box, um, despite the fact that he tried to get it out of the way. Well, this is the thing, because you, you use that wording, and uh, Arsenal had a last-minute penalty for exactly the same situation, denied when uh, Xhaka crossed it against... Uh, Jacob Murphy, it's not or Josh Murphy, I don't know. Uh, it, it clearly hit his hand and stopped Erdegaard getting a really, really, really good chance in. And uh, yeah, they were they were giving. Well, yeah. Moral of the story: glass houses, throwing stones, not a good combination. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting because uh, PGMOL have posted a statement saying that they did some sort of emergency meeting like the day after or on the Monday and uh, yeah what's come out of it is they've labelled it as human error they've said they're very happy with how the the referees have reacted to the meeting and what they spoke about and that seems to be it which is why Arteta seems to be a a bit annoyed because um, you're calling something like this human error in that way to me it feels like it's excusing it because humans are always going to make errors and there are always going to be refereeing decisions. But the the decisions that the referees have made in the VAR with Arsenal and Brighton this week should never happen. Uh, well, I was just going to say the idea of human error is fine, but let's say I'm a postman and then there's a second postman who is videoing me whilst I'm doing my rounds, if I miss a house and I forget to deliver their letters, it's human error. But the point of VAR is that the bloke who's watching me can pick up that I've missed that house out. And if they're making human errors, I mean, what are they doing then? Right? Like, I understand the idea of, of human error on the field, but you can't really make an excuse like human error when they have the recording and they can go back through it like there you shouldn't be allowed to make human error right so yeah so what happened uh the reason why it was an error how the error was made was because uh lee mason spent two and a half minutes looking at uh ethan pinnock who was wrestling with gabrielle and pinnock was offside and what ended up happening was that pinnock was acting as a blocker to stop gabrielle from getting um able to close down Tony um, yeah so Arteta actually came out and said that at the start of the season this move from Ethan Pinnock is uh, something that the referees spoke about at the preseason meeting and is something that should be marked as offside it's something which doesn't feel like an offside because he's far away from the ball but they spent the whole two and a half minutes looking at that that they didn't look at the most crucial part which is the assist and it, it there's there's no kind of um, there's no kind of logical 
organised system of going through the VAR reviews in that case because they've just jumped ahead to a point like, oh, oh we've spotted something. And they've not gone th- methodically actually watching the incident to, s- to see if there's the crucial bit. So there needs to be some kind of... Um, process. You know, some kind of checklist or process, yeah, exactly, to go through it. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like uh, the, the, the Premier League is such a wealthy league and the teams are you know whether you like it or not the premier league is a business all these teams are business there's there's so much money and yet the focus on refereeing um in terms of how much the fa or pgmol seem to be um wanting to change the refereeing is so minimal compared to how much investment is going into all the the other parts of the the sport it feels like there's a, a lack of a lack of training or a lack of I, I, I don't know just for these things to happen it should there's obviously something that's not good enough yeah I, yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of struggles and I think also how how do you entice people to come become referees that's a that's a problem right through grassroots football Um the training of it if you're not a player that's obviously fine because you're not a player you're a referee but then what's the understanding of the game i think there's just a lot of it, it's it's a diff, it's a it's a difficult thing to sort out there's no doubt about that but the amount of the amount of millions and billions in the business that is the premier league and and you know we, it's been referred to more and more as the super league and and rightly so because it is it's ridiculous you look at the managers right the way through the table as we've often said um, it makes it very frustrating. And how can you have so much money and success riding on this group of individuals? It's it's kind of baffling. At the end of the day, these decisions cost a lot. Be- you know, they can cost a lot because uh, there was the famous Hawkeye decision between Sheffield United and Aston Villa, which was really crucial in the relegation battle. And um, yeah, you can see why Arteta is so furious because, you know, people like to talk about that Brentford played well in that first half, but it was nil-nil going to the second half. Second half, Arsenal had ten shots, Brentford had one. Um, that was sort of just before the goal, and uh, it, you know, Arsenal weren't great against Everton, weren't great in the first half, but that second half was a sign that Arsenal were doing everything right again. They were in control of the game, they're playing well, and. Um, don't get the three points purely because of of a missed offside. So, so you miss out on the three points. Obviously, we've clarified that you got the extra two anyway earlier on the season, so it's not something that we'll come back to at the end and complain about, as we both agree. But where do we go now, Sam? And are you the favourites still? Because I saw a tweet today, and this was my... Toby's fact of the day, which we never do, but I thought, good way of cramming it in. On this day in 2020, Sadio Mane scored at Carrow Road to take us 25 points clear at the top. You're not 25 points clear, Sam, but you don't need to be to win a league title. You need to win tonight. Um, that's that's probably for sure. Well, that's the question, I suppose. Is tonight must win? If you draw, are you still the favourites? Even before the game, are you still the favourites to go and win the title? What do you think? 
Yeah, well, we mentioned that word narratives a lot, and in two games, the narrative around Arsenal and Man City has changed so much, and that's even considering that City uh, lost to Tottenham. Yeah, it's it's three points now. It feels like it's a must-win for Arsenal. They certainly have to win one of these City games, because City just have the resources that you'd feel like over a season they have that little bit extra um like i say arsenal's second half performance was a lot more promising but at the same time they're still missing gabriel jesus and um unfortunately watching enketia against brentford wasn't a lot of fun um you know the the narrative around Ketia versus Jesus was totally different a few weeks ago because uh, people were saying, does Nketiah start over Jesus? And now uh, he's struggled in the next few games. So I think it, it really depends if Arsenal can can wait out until Jesus comes back, I think, because the attack is so more dynamic when he's playing. And it, it, Martinelli's form has dropped off because of that. Um, it was nice to see Trossard come off the bench and score um, as a, a hope for more more depth and more options in attack. But um, yeah, tonight's game will be a really big, a really big uh, pointer for the next few games for Arsenal. But you know what, as well, you know what, Sam. City will lose more games. City aren't the team that yeah. they have been in the past and that's not meant in a slight on this Arsenal team or this. And that's not coming from a place of me being like, oh, we had to reach this many points to win it. I, I don't believe that City are the team in the past. The points haul that they're putting up is still, you know, it's still going to be huge. It, it always is going to be at the end of the day when they've got Pep Guardiola, the squad they've got and, and the money they've got at their disposal, right? It's always going to be a huge points haul. But having said that, it, they will lose more games. I'm pretty confident of that because they're... they're they are, I suppose, in transition is a bit of a push, but they are adapting to having a 25 goals in 20 games or whatever striker, which is a, is a nice thing to be adapting to. But their possession and the way that they can keep the ball and deny counterattacks isn't what it used to be. And despite the fact that they're more ruthless, they are more vulnerable. And I do think they'll go and lose. And with the league being the place it's in, in terms of how competitive it is, and you add on top of that the fact that they've got the Champions League and that's the one that they do really want to win, they will drop more points. There's no doubt about it. So if if you can replicate the form that you've showed in the first half of the season, or be thereabouts, which is a big if. Um, but I do think despite tonight's result, it is in your hands because City will go on and lose more games. You will most likely go on and lose more games. But even if you're, even if they beat you tonight and you're joint on points, if you win your game in hand, you're three points ahead again. And then it's not down to some sort of last 100-metre sprint. It's a, it's a long sprint, right, to the end of the yeah. season then still, with, with a small point difference. But I'm not even sure it's a sprint. It still is it. It's not a sprint. It's a, a run. Right. Yeah. But it's like when Mo Farah at the Olympics just turned on the afterburners on like when he had four laps to go after running like 4,000 odd metres already. And then he just started sprinting 
well, well, it obviously wasn't a sprint, but it was like a ridiculous pace on the last three laps. It's kind of like that. You've got to you've got to do that. But that is still in your hands. And the the team that Arteta has built and is so ahead of schedule is capable of doing it. I do think. But you're also very capable of basically capitulating under the sort of pressure of having City breathing down your neck. That's for sure as well. And that's why that's why we love it. That's the worry if Arsenal lose. Um, and that's the narrative. <laughs> big, yeah. If, if Arsenal do end up losing, then it's going to feel like a big blow and it is much more of an ask for Arteta to be able to bring back the good mood that was in the club three weeks ago. Um, but maybe he can do it. Yes, yeah, and rejuvenate that squad mid-season. But yeah, City, City on the team they used to be like they don't even have a left back at the moment, so they're gonna. They don't even have a do, bloody left back. They're they're gonna do this weird Bernardo Silva thing again, and uh, De Bruyne's form luckily has not been um, sensational either. He's he's been fine, but he's not been this you know best attacking player in the league kind of ability. Um, Okay, so we're going to go and watch Arsenal versus Man City and uh, maybe half of this will be irrelevant by the time it comes out. Maybe maybe we should record like a good ending and a bad ending. Uh, (laughs) That's how good... Oh, wow. Uh, I'm so glad that Arsenal won. What a good performance from Uh, uh, Jorginho. I can't believe Jorginho stepped in and filled Partey's boots like that, huh? What was Pep thinking, bringing on uh, Rico Lewis that early? That Haaland injuries is is huge for the rest of the season. Um, I think that covers basically everything, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All bases okay. covered there. They're the only things that can happen. Um, tell you what, though, I was really surprised that Nathan Ake scored a perfect hat-trick, left foot, right foot and a header. I didn't think he had that in him. I'm just leaving that one in there in case. Then I look like a genius. Oh, yeah, no, no. That's a good one. What a horrible dive by Jack Grealish again. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, uh, we'll talk about the result next week. And uh, obviously, the week's football. I don't know who's playing. Liverpool are playing. Maybe they'll be great. And you can talk about Liverpool for 20 minutes again. Let's hope Uh, so. We'll see. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you, Toby. I'll talk to you then. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.